This is Leva Bates, AEW's librarian, co-host of the Geek Soapbox, renowned Twitch partner, and a two-time Flower City Comic Con guest. And you are listening to Gaming Street Irregulars. But you better listen to my show first. I'm just saying. Thanks. Welcome to Gaming Street Irregulars. I absolutely love that name. I'm so glad I came up with it. Uh, today we're going to talk about those games that we missed as kids, we discovered as adults, and we're still mad about the fact we didn't know about them when we were younger. So with me as always is the wonderful and chari- uh, charismatic James Irish. You are too kind, Chrissy. You are entirely <laughs> too kind. In the background, you may hear snoring. That would be my lovely dog, Oscar. I, I just don't have the heart to kick him out of the room right now. Um, if he <laughs> farts, that may happen. So if you hear that, that's that's him. So, oh, heard. Toilet humor is timeless. Yeah, as I guess. Crazy as that sounds. <laughs> so, we're not, like I said, we're talking about games that we did not discover until we became adults. And we're still mad about it. Um, some of these games are just, we didn't pay attention to them, they weren't covered, or they were never released in our region, which for the international people is the North America region. <laughs> right. And for, uh, and in some other cases, they're games we did give a try, but we just couldn't either wrap our heads around it, or we just didn't care for the play style or anything like that. Yep, but that's true, when too. we revisited them as adults, suddenly something just clicks. And that, and then they became favorites. Indeed. In very deed. So, James, do you want to start off or should I? Well, we're, we, we will be, get to it in just a quick second. started and i have the ideal game that hits so many of the categories we discussed we mentioned at the top of the show and that is atari's black widow yes yes that did not know this was released this game was released in 1982 it was conceived as a conversion kit for gravatar which was not as big a hit as Atari had hoped, but Black Widow got apparently less traction than Gravatar itself. I only ever saw this game one place in my lifetime, and it was at Browncroft Day Camp, which I mentioned in the original episode as having this uh, barn that that kids would go to for, to to uh, just just keep them occupied and entertained while they wait for their parents to pick them up for before and after school programs. Which is still would... brilliant. Yeah. And, you know, they had they had some of the more common video games of the day there, like like Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and Burger Time and a few asteroids. But when they got in Black Widow, it was something I had never seen before in my lifetime. And it just never clicked with me. I mean, it looked incredible. The vector graphics on it were sharp as all heck. I'd never seen vector art that good. I, I, I mean, I didn't even think Star Wars looked as good as this game. But it just never really... I, ne- I couldn't figure it out. And, and I just forgot about it for decades upon decades. And until Atari's rights holders in the 2000s, started including it in 
arcade compilations and the like. And next thing I know, suddenly I'm like, oh my God, this is that game. I haven't seen this in forever. And it was at that point I realized, hey, wait a minute. This is a twin stick shooter, just like my one of my favorite games, Robotron 2084. Although actually not quite just like it, because there's a little more complexity going on in that you don't necessarily shoot enemies to get the points. You have to pick up the dollar signs, which the game calls grub stakes, mm -hmm. to get the points, and those will degrade in value over time. And some of the bugs will also either eat the grub stakes or turn them into eggs, which hatch into uh, other bugs. And it's uh, actually a fairly deep game, and I'm disappointed it didn't get very much traction back in the day. I think it would have been a great counterpoint to Robotron 2084. You know what? I mean, I never actually played any of these games. Um, so I'm going to start off on that. But I mean, I think a lot of these games, they really had kind of a hit and miss where there were so many opportunities for these games to continue, especially um, in that point in time. And with that, um, with those games where you could have just kept going and going. Um, and that's one of the reasons why these games are kind of like hidden gems for us, because we're like, oh my God, where did this game go? Or you remember it and then you're like, oh my God, here it is. Like I have several games like that um, where I've been trying to find them to this day, find them. And I have had no luck. A lot of MDOS games are like that for me. So. Oh goodness. Yes. That's. I, those games. I, I don't even know where to begin looking for those. Yeah, I mean, commercially anyway, we could probably find them via ROM sites and emulators, which is and mine, which I'll do. I I have no issue downloading a ROM for a game that I've been wanting to play or replay again. Um, like there was one I played in college. Um, this is back in you know nineteen. Um, for that was actually on a computer from one of the schools here called Josh Lofton. They got rid of a bunch of their old. Um, computers, pers the computers that the kids use. So I got one to use at college to write my papers. And there was this maze game on there. And I do not remember the name of it. But man, I played that game every, every time I had a chance. I was trying to make it through the 100 levels of that game. And it would save you. Like if you clicked out, it saved the level you were on. And okay. I haven't found it since. I just hmm. haven't. And I mean, I went through every possible Discord reddit there is actually a treasury of every possible mdos game from when they started doing the mdos games up until the 2000s i can't find this game anywhere <laughs> i can't even tell you the name of the game i just know it was it was a maze puzzle game kind of like solomon's key but it wasn't okay. solomon's key it was it was a little bit more basic than that so fixed screen kind of a kind of a 2d orientation Yep. Monsters with simple patterns. Monsters that with simple patterns and you just and maybe that was a key, but it was so it was pixel art where you're just like, is it? I'm going to assume that's a key. Okay, it didn't kill me when I picked it up. So it must be a key. Like that kind of like level of graphics. Like it wasn't anything okay. like in depth. It was something I'm like, wow, I would have played this on my Atari. Hmm. So if anyone has any clues, please drop us like me a, a hint below because I really want to find this game again. I really do. And we should remember to post this description to Facebook too. Indeed. Actually, maybe the Constellation 2020 group would, uh, would know. They seem to be good at sorting out what the identities of movies that people can barely remember. You know, that's true. They are good at that. So, hmm. I think so I might actually. What's the first game on that. your list, Chrissy? The first game on my list is actually one that I did not know about until, God, within the last year or so. This was never released in North America. It was only released in, Jan it only was released in Japan and the PALS region. 
That was it. So whenever anyone sits there and tells me, oh, the poor PAL regions, they never got good games. Bull. Because this is an amazing game and it's called Terranigma. And it's part, it was developed by Quintet. And it is what is known as the Quintet series. And that is with Actraiser, Illusion of Gaia, and Soul Blazers. And those three games were released in, the United, in, in North America. But this game was not, and I still can't figure out why. It is an amazing JRPG game where you play as a kid called Ark. And you're trying to save the upper world and the lower world. And it is very much a creationist, um, not creationist as in, you know, God made the world and science doesn't exist. But it's actually a creation themed game where the world existed. There are two um, entities, God and the devil, who are fighting for dominance. And this poor kid becomes a tool in that game. And as you play as Ark, you actually bring back the world. Um, and the story stays with you more than the gameplay ever did. The gameplay is a very typical 90s JRPG game, you know, with its, with its battle rates, um, with its leveling system. But the lovely also thing about this game is, is when you kill something, it stays dead. Oh. When you go back into a dungeon, if you killed every enemy in that dungeon, they all stay dead. It respects your time because it already knows you're going to be putting in 30 plus hours and nobody wants to go back through and have to redo their work again. So it's, I mean, it's an amazing game. Um, you can actually get the ROM online. Um, it is not on the Switch yet. Sorry, James. Um, mm. I have it on my recal box, and I actually, I mind the one that I have, it's in English and it's also in Italian, um, which is two languages that I do. I can read Italian extremely well. Um, and I can speak it, eh, but I can read it. So, you know, I play, I can play it in both languages, and it's just, it's just an amazing game. It will suck you in. Okay, well, I, I can actually see myself wanting to download that at some point. Uh, my, my stance on emulation basically is, if you can legally buy it for a platform you own, do so and prove that, you, that there is still an audience for these games. But if it is not readily available, do what you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, this is also one of those games I put up there with another set of games that I didn't know about until I was older, and that was the Asterix and Obelix games. Okay. Which I'm sure nobody in America or probably has a very passing understanding of them because um, Asterix and Obelix is actually a, a Belgian comic. It's a Belgian comic. It's hilarious as how very true to today's standards. And they actually do have a series of games out and these games are good. They're not your normal um, uh, licensed licensed crap that we sometimes get pardon my french but it, some of these licensed games are not that good these games are extremely good they're right up there with um ducktales and, and chippendale rescue rangers like the good dis like the good disney games where it's the it's shot their um cell shaded graphics very smooth graphics to it there's not a whole lot of hiccup to them or slowdown. So those are fun games, and they have them where they're battle games, strategy games, and puzzle games. So something for everybody. Oh, yeah. There have been scores of video games based on Asterix and Obelix over the, over the decades since video games were a format. These guys have been around, these characters, rather, have been around since 1959. Mm -hmm. Their English translation started about 10 years later. And I, I actually remember playing an arcade game uh, via MAME back in college. That was that was kind of neat. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, it's a fun game just to turn your brain off. Because, I mean, yeah. when you read the story of these two, you kind of, after a while, kind of sit there and be like, okay, I need to turn my brain you, You're automatic. It's like Smurfs. Just turn your brain off and just enjoy the silliness. Just, just go with it. <laughs> Exactly, but uh, I I wish Pembroke were here because he would be able to tell us nearly every fact about this we could want to hear. Most likely, <laughs> he would know Asterix. You know, and what? if he didn't, he knows someone who would. 
Exactly. Well, you know, we, this just means we have to have Pembroke come back on again. That's oh, yeah. Him and Pemmy, Zelda, they're going to be you. back. We love you, Pemmy. We love, yes. We can't wait to have you back. Hopefully March, buddy. Hopefully. All right. What about you? I already just did, I already knocked two games off of my list already. What about you? What's right. another well, my game you wanted to play? I got a bunch of them that were on the 2600 originally by Activision. Mm-hmm. And these were ones I wasn't even aware existed when they were new because, well, I would have been four or five at the time. Yeah, age and... does tend to, to, to inhibit our ability to enjoy games when they're out. Right. And on top of that... Most of the Atari 2600 exposure I had were ports of arcade games, which didn't always tend to be the best representations of them. I'm looking at you, Pac-Man. <laughs> but Oh, boy. Yeah, but that's another story for another podcast. We, at the rate we come up with ideas, we're going to be, uh, we're, we're going to, we're going to have an, we're going to be not struggling for ideas until this time next year. I would oh, imagine, <laughs> but at, but a lot of Activision's games just flew right by me when at those early days, and by the time I started actually paying attention to games that were available in stores, Activision was a very different company than what they were in the twenty six hundred era. This so is the true. first game I want to mention by them, in in that regard, is Mega Mania, which you would. Which is a uh, a shooter in a similar vein to a Space Invaders or a Galaxian, but it's a little bit more offbeat. The enemies are various objects like hamburgers, bow ties, or steam irons, and they you know they just kind of lean into the graphical limitations of the twenty six hundred platform rather than trying to make these look like authentic spaceships. They're like. Okay, what can we do that's recognizable and will actually look good in on this platform? So, so this was made by Steve Cartwright. That's one of the things I love about early early Activision. They the developers were credited right on the box. Mm-hmm. They wanted to make sure they weren't anonymous, like the early uh, Atari games were. It was that well, was a mess, and we'll. That's another subject we'll have to get into another time. Yeah, about Atari, about the original Easter eggs and why they yes. got created in video games. That's going to be a fun one. But but every wave in Megalomania has its own distinct pattern. Ooh. And so so the, the objects will zigzag around in formation and each one will be different. So it's it's a very... For a top-down shooter from 1982, it is actually fairly deep and diverse, which I greatly appreciate. It is definitely up there with Pitfall and River Raid in terms of the all-time classics that company came out with. And I'll be returning to Activision after Chrissy takes her next game. Okay, so in the vein of shooters, this is a game that when I saw this, in the stores the box art is one of those things that when you looked at it you're like what the heck is this it's kind of like what the hell is this game about and it was done because you could have a dozen shooter games they all will feature the same thing which is the um the spaceship the the pilot or something shooting down something but not farnlix farnlix had on its cover a bearded man playing a banjo and if you don't oh, believe this me, game this game and if you don't believe me google it it's it is probably the most huh box cover you'll ever see i oh, actually I believe you now i actually got turned on to this game through sinestrunk who is a youtuber who goes through and he does he goes is the game still worth the hype he does old games and he he plays them often drunk, um, hence his name, and he actually will then go through and tell you if the game is still worth playing today and what are the pros and cons of it. He's also the same person and is the only person I know that can actually say that they've beaten super ghosts and goblins. 
Oh my. Several times. And I've even he's even put he's even broadcasted on his channel him beating this game and he actually tells you how to beat the game, which you'll bang your head against the wall because it's so simple. But this is an awesome shoot 'em up. And I am not a shoot 'em up player by any means. But the the graphics, it's on the same level as Gradius, Gradius, but I almost want to say it's even above that because this game is also very, very forgiving. You can take a lot of hits before you die. And if you're someone who doesn't normally play shoot 'em up games, that makes this game so much fun because it's very forgiving to you if you make a mistake. Um, and it doesn't just do the traditional, like... Um, spaceship. It actually puts you in a mecha suit. There's one where I think it's like a running gun. Uh, there's a tank level. It is such a good game. And it did come out. It was actually made by Kempco. Um, and if you, and Kempco has been known to make other games too. I got to get a list up. So Kempco was mostly known um, not so much for their shoot 'em ups as they are for just their very basic um, platformer games like Doughboy in 19. They're the company that did the Crazy Castle series, if I remember right. They did. They are known for their Crazy Castle series. Um, so they're not mostly known for shoot 'em up games, but for a foray into it, this is a game you have to play it some way, shape, or form. It is a lot of fun. Um, especially when you're ticked off and you just want to blow something up without getting in trouble. There you go. Yeah, that's actually a rarity in shooters, especially for that era, because that was at around the t- around the time when the shoot 'em up genre was pretty much firmly entrenched in a level of difficulty that could be best described as your knuckles are going to come through your skin. You're going to be gripping the controller so hard. Yeah, and they actually, after after somewhat of a success from this game, they actually did end up going more into the shoot-em-ups because they did a whole bunch of Top Gear games and all of that okay. um, from the early 2000s. But, I mean, they did Spy versus Spy, um, which was out on the Game Boy and the NES. Um, they were known for Donald Duck's Silly Sports Spectacular, Roger which Rabbit. Which was a Snoopy game here in the States. Which was a Snoopy games here in the States. They, d- they did a whole bunch of Snoopy games and Bugs Bunny games. I mean, they, they, they're, they're, a great, they're a good company. It was just this game was like, I don't normally, like I said, I'm not a shooter, shooter player by any stretch of the imaginations, and I like this game. And I and part of me is like I kick myself because this is a game that proves do not judge a game by its box art. Because if you just went by the box art, nobody was picking up this game. Not, not, in, person- ni- not in the early 90s anyway. Nope, because that old man was creepy looking. Oh, and by the way, he doesn't show up at all in the game. That's my spoiler alert. No, he's not in it at all. He's just there. All right. What about you? All right. We're going back into the Activision well here. This one was originally designed by Bob Whitehead. And this is kind of a second tier pick for them. It's something I don't think got quite the level of traction that their biggest hits got. But it's called Stampede. (gasps) I remember this game. We had this on my Atari 2600. Oh, nice. Yeah, I actually first discovered this game for myself. On X, the Xbox Game Room, I think it was called, on the Xbox 360, it was kind of like a digital arcade that you could buy individual games for and, and use that front end to play all of them. A lot of of unheralded games came out on that, and depend based on what licenses they were able to get, which wasn't many, the, the service is now long gone. Yeah. But as for Stampede itself, the the objective is to round up cattle without letting any of them pass by. And rather than uh, doing it, rather than just trying to catch them, you're actively trying to uh, lasso them. And, and you have to be able to line up your shot and and get the get the cattle onto the lasso. Again, without letting any of them pass. If you let more than two go, your game is done. 
it's a surprisingly addictive game for something mm-hmm. so simple and primitive looking. I mean, well, of course it's primitive looking. This is the 2600 for goodness sakes. But it's, you know, I was genuinely surprised by this and one and I honestly don't know what else to say other than I really enjoyed it. Well, you know, it's and the nice thing with Stampede from what I remember, it was it was an easy pick up and play game. Oh yes, it, yes. It was a pick up and play game. It was not one of those games that you had to sit there and go through a huge tutorial to learn. You could pick it up and you could start playing it and I mean, this is and those games are very really good ones of those are very few and far between to find Mm -hmm. and i remember this game because i remember it was one of those it was like barnstormer for me where i could just pick it up and play it and i could crash but it was a forgiving game because it let you pick right back up where you fell and just let you keep going um and actually in the book um i just picked up the 100 greatest council video games this is actually in there in the top 100 okay like it's actually um because i'm Unfortunately, the guy doesn't, the listing in here is alphabetical, not by like their actual spot because he even says that's subjective, but it is like number, you know, just, I just hit number 87. In the alphabetical listing. In the alphabetical listing. So like it's in there. And I mean, I just, I'm going through that book. Like, I'm like, we had that, we had that, we had that, hated that. We had that, like, this is one of those games that I loved playing as a kid. And I, I'm oh. so glad you brought it up because we had it. It was $12. You remember oh, the last time nice. the video game was 12 bucks? <laughs> um, well, those days are kind of coming back. Thanks to indie, independent games. Yeah, you guys are awesome independent developers because you, yeah. you, you saved my checkbook a few times. <laughs> So, so what do you got next, Chrissy? So the next one I have is actually kind of a fun, cute, cute little fun game. It's called The Twisted Tales of Spike McFang. And this is a role-playing game. It, it, is, it was um, in Japan. It came, to, um, it came to North America in June of 1994. Um, it is considered an action RPG. There is some leveling. But this one's just a fun game where you play as this cute little kid, vampire child named Spike McFang. And okay. you take your hat and you kind of odd job with your hat. You throw it, you use that to attack uh, creatures that are far away. You also can spin your cape and, and hit them that way. Um, he also uses magical cards with different effects, like turning invisible, uh, summoning bats to help you, um, powering up a partner, giving yourself some health. Increasing the amount of tomatoes you eat because Spike is a vegetarian. He only mm. eats tomato juice. Okay. It's just a cute, fun little game to play. I mean, and it is another one of those pick 'em up games. Um, the storyline is Spike trying to say, trying to save his family and his kingdom from the evil zombie general Van Hostler. Um, and he with his and he helps his friend um, Carmelia, as well as a couple of other people who jump in and kind of join him in the way of it. Um, it is an open. It's kind of open world as open world as JRPGs kind of got back in the nineties. Right. But it's it's just such a cute game, and the graphics are very um, cartoonish and very cute. So if you want a game that just you play and not having a full in depth. Like, not obviously, we must save the world storyline. Like, heavy, like, Terranigma and um, Earthbound and Breath of Fire and Chrono Trigger. But just kind of a fun, cute little game that you're just like, aww. I really was kind of pissed I didn't play this one when I was younger because I really, really would have gotten... This may have... This may have... um, If I played this when I was younger, it may have replaced Zelda as one of my favorite games. Okay, that's that is some high praise, and you know I'm listening to you describe this concept, and I've got a couple memories rattling around in my head, very very faint ones, and I think a few of them are mixing this up with Kid Kid Dracula on the Game Boy, which is Not a very much, different game. It's a different game, um, but same idea. Right, like Kid Dracula was a cute game too. I did play that, and I did like that game. But yeah, I'm gonna have to check this one out too. 
So how about, so what do you have for me to check out? Well, I, my next one on the list is something I know you've already played because it is one of Activision's principal hits. You know, I'm going to be coming to Activision 2600 a lot because I, when I discovered these after college, I was like, oh my God, where, where did I, where, how did I live without these in my life? It's like, where have you been all my life? Right. I mean, you know, I knew the reputation of, of Pitfall, of course, and of River Raid, Mm -hmm. but I did not know about Kaboom. What? Yes, believe it or not, Kaboom slipped right by me, probably because it was principally a paddle game. Oh, I never saw the paddles in person until years and years and years after this game was out of circulation. That would do it. That would do it. But this was... uh, Programmed originally by Larry Kaplan, and mm-hmm. uh, he he was actually uh, known for doing air sea battle and bowling on uh, on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred for Atari before uh, getting out of the business. And as a matter of fact, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page right now, and it looks like uh, this was the last game he was credited as entirely writing he didn't leave the business he would continue to work at uh, amiga and silicon graphics and worlds of wonder and other companies but it looks like this was the last game he was directly ahead on yeah i think he he started just going back into actually developing the games versus running the games um yeah he did um air he did air sea battle and street racer um, he also cre- did the game Bridge, if anyone ever played Bridge on the Atari. Okay. Um, yeah, this, yeah, if you didn't have a paddle for this game, you were up the creek without one. Because mm. I did try to... <laughs> but, I see what um, you did there. I'll see myself out now. Um... No, no, no. <laughs> no, you're staying right here because we appreciate a pun here. Yeah. No, I remember this game. My my sister and I hated this game. My father loved this game. Okay. He loved the fact he could beat us at it. My sister was was queen of Frogger. I could do barnstorming fairly well. None of us really had Pac-Man down pat, except my mother. And my mother only liked Mrs. Pac-Man. She didn't like Pac-Man. She liked Mrs. Pac-Man. But I, this was the game that my father enjoyed beating us at. Because you can play two players alternating on this game. And I don't know how he did it, but he always used to kick our butts. Which then meant we always had to do more chores. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but uh, one other little quick thing about Kaboom is it was an unauthorized adaptation of Atari's coin-op Avalanche. Oh, well, you know, got to start from Which something. was actually a very common thing back then to do oh, unauthorized yeah. things. Atari themselves, their, their, uh, their circus game, that uh, was an unauthorized uh, adaptation of Exidy's Arcade Circus. Oh, well, don't forget, Mrs. Pac-Man originally came out of unauthorized um, Pac-Man levels that were being added to the coin ops because yep. guess what, ladies and gentlemen, if you already beat the game, there's nothing more to play. You kind of don't put more coins in it. So people saw a, a kind of a way. Missile Command, I think, was the first game that started that when they started adding more levels to Missile Command. For, in arcades, these, anyway. In arcades, yeah. When they started adding more levels to those. So that's also the... Put that down as another possible topic. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna definitely talk about some of that. Uh, I, I know I want to do a gaming related oriented lawsuits episode because there's a lot to delve into there. And I remember when our friends at the Mighty the Monkey Business Podcast did a geeky lawsuits episode. It was one of my favorites episodes, <laughs> and I wish they had returned to the topic. So, well, we also kind of got just gonna have to do it ourselves. Well, they also, there's a reason also, there is a lost episode to the Mighty Monkeys Business, um, the B- Mighty Monkeys Business Podcast, and it's the Joker one. We had to take it off of YouTube because there's a small little part of it where we sing um, Joker's to the left of me, something to the right of me, here I am stuck in the middle with you. Oh, it's the Steelers Wheel song. Yes, we got a cease and desist letter from YouTube that we couldn't have it posted, so it had to come down. That was a good episode, too. So, I mean, we kind of have one of those, too. I mean, 
welcome to the world of everybody sends out a lawsuit. So pretty much. Ah, uh, that was such a good. I wonder if they ever put it back up with that part deleted out, because that was a good takedown of the jo- of the Joker movie. But I digress. Shink, shink, went on the board. All right, what we got next? We got next. We got next. Uh, you're next. Oh, I'm next. Ooh. Yeah. All right. So this one, I'm gonna have a lot of people yell at me of how I how did I not know about this game until I was older, and the only thing I could say is this game was so weird looking, it kind of scared me away from it, and that's Earthbound. I don't blame you there. <laughs> Earthbound was a tough sell in the states, but once you played it, you oh, got absolutely. hooked. You got hooked. I, this was a game, and the thing is, is, is we over here, we only got the middle game. They, the, the first game, Earthbound Beginnings, did not really come out until after Earthbound did. Okay, right. It's kind of a retro thing. And Earth, and Earthbound 2, also known as Mother 3, um, never really got translated over to us until probably in the last few years. Uh, if you wanted to play Mothers 3, you actually had to go to starmen.net. They actually had an amazing English patch for this game. Okay. Like better than what Nintendo came out with. So this is, this is a game that it starts off with you battling crows who steal cookies. And you wind up beating, you wind up having to, and as you go through the story, you end up getting to the point where you have to beat up an alien. So you go from beating up crows who steal your cookies to uh, just taking on this, you know, this life-ending alien. And the other cute thing about this game is too, and I like, you know, after playing it, is you get to actually personalize the game to you. Okay. You get to name all four characters. You get to name your dog that's only in maybe five minutes of it. My oh. dog is always named Oscar. You get to tell him what your favorite food is. And throughout the whole game, all of that little bit of information is sprinkled in. Okay. Uh, they ask you what your favorite thing is or what your favorite thing to do is. They ask you, so as you're playing this game, Attacks are tailored to what you put in. Um, Power-ups are tailored to what you put in. Um, health recovering items are tailored to what you put in. It's it's a game that makes itself t- tailors itself to the player, which is really kind of cool. And I have to give. Um, the creators of it, um, which is Sotero Iwata, um, Hirokazu Tanaka, he's the composer of some of the music, so is Kinchi Suzuki, and the director, producer, and scenario writer, which is Shigasato Iotai. Um, okay. I got to give them credit for that because this game here, the amount of programming to allow these different answers to go in that had to be take a long time to do mm. because you got to remember is you, this is stuff that's from i mean it's not like it's the first two towns and then it just defaults to something else like every other game does then your answers to that those first four questions play throughout the whole game and this game is a good 30 hour playthrough and like uh, this yeah this is not a quick, yeah, this is not a quick game playthrough. So the amount of programming that they had to do to, to allow it to take that answer and put it throughout that 30 hours of gameplay, holy crap, that had to take a lot of time. Hmm. I give them kudos because that took a lot of a lot of time, a lot of energy, and definitely a lot of love. Uh, yeah, Earthbound was very offbeat by the standards of the early to mid-90s. So much so that Nintendo seemed to believe that in order to sell the game, they had to include the strategy guide with it. Mm-hmm. It, it was just that unusual compared to uh, your Final Fantasies and your, uh, your, your Legends yeah. of Zelda's and Super Mario Brothers and so on. 
and the worst thing the worst thing about it is as far as out of pace it was this game is spot on 90s like for someone you know for two people i lived through the 90s you lived through the 90s i'm sure we have listeners who just heard stories about the 90s this game is the 90s it the 90s was such a weird time and there were so many things that, to, you know, that were in pop culture where now we look back and like, how did that work? Like, how did they get away? Like this game for as weird as it is, is like the perfect metaphor for the 90s in general. Like, oh, my God, it's such a fun game to play. If you have not played it, play it. It's not for everybody. I will give you that, but at least play it so you understand, like, the level of of absurdity that's in this game and we will absolutely be doing an episode about earthbound at some point in time as well oh my god we have to such a cool game so what cool game do you have well my last game i have here on my list uh we're going back to the arcades for this one and this is one that i just never saw personally in in an arcade setting so it just is un I never even crossed my radar until the PlayStation 1 era. And that would be Moon Patrol. Ooh. Yep. Moon I... Patrol was uh, was released in, and developed in Japan by IREM, who uh, you would also know for games like Kung Fu Master. Uh, or, and it is generally credited as, as one of, if not the first games, to have parallax scrolling. <gasps> So you have one background layer scrolling at one speed and then one in front of it scrolling a little faster, which was a, a which in 1982 was pretty freaking impressive. Oh yeah. But, I, uh, I I didn't have this game. I heard about this game growing up. Okay. I didn't have this one cuz this one I think mostly was developed for ColecoVision. Um, At, it was they they had a prototype for Coleco, but it never mm-hmm. got released. Oh, so there's actually a very funny story about that, which I'll get to in a second. But but just for people who might not have heard of Moon Patrol, the uh, the game is a side-scrolling automatic scrolling shooter where you're playing where you're playing as the pilot of a of a little uh, moon buggy, and you shoot. In multiple directions, you shoot both going forward and going up at the same time. But your rate of fire is going to be different. I mean, you can shoot your upward shot will will shoot multiple times, but the forward based shot can only be shot once, and and you can't shoot it again until that particular bullet either dissipates or hits a target, which gives you. A, uh, some interesting things to keep track of. And you also have control over how fast or slow you happen to be going. And, and you are also able to jump. So there's a good deal of things going on in this game. My God. Yeah. This, it's this it's sounds for, awesome. It, it, it is. And it is available on the switch right now. Oh, is it? Yes. Nice. I might have to download that. My my recal box has Atari twenty six hundred as one of the ROMs you could do along with ColecoVision and Intellivision. So I haven't quite gotten to the point of downloading those games yet. But part of me is like, there oh. is a pretty good port for the Atari twenty six hundred as well. Oh, nice! This was one of the later ports uh, for for the system's original sh- original uh, lifespan, and they. And I remember playing that in college after having gotten to play the arcade original emulated on my PlayStation, mm-hmm. the uh, one of the Midway arcade collections. Because oh, Midway. Midway Williams published the game here in the United States, and so when they were looking to fill out their second Williams Midway arcade collection with games they could actually successfully emulate with their technology at the time, they reached back out to IREM and got the license again to include it. I mean, so you would that, be crazy that's how not I first to include it. it. What? What was that? I was like, you would be crazy not to include it. I mean, it's. I mean, why would you not? Like, if you had an older game and someone's like, "Hey, we like to republish it and get more people playing it and give you more money," why would you not say yes? Pretty much, especially <laughs> since IREM was not very uh, deep in the U.S. market at that time. So. Yeah. So. But uh, back to that uh, ColecoVision port. 
that did not see light of day thanks to the crash. Boom! Yeah. Yeah, a lot of... Uh, uh, yeah, Atari was planning a lot of ports for the Coleco, including Joust and Dig Dug and Pac-Man that never saw light of day. Only three... I think only four games came out from Atari Soft for the ColecoVision. But Moon Patrol was one of the ones that didn't make it out of prototype stage. And that Ah. prototype included an unusual gag. (laughs) One of the spaceships was designed just to get a laugh out of the guys in the office to look like a bra. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been hilarious. I would feel bad for any parent who had to explain that one, but that's... Yeah, they would have changed it for the actual release, but now the game is a frozen-in-time prototype, so when it surfaced a few decades later and people got to running it, they were like, wait a minute, what the heck is this? (laughs) (sighs) It was a different time. Listen programmers man let them have their fun yeah let them have their fun so that's actually the last game i had on my own list but i did ask for some others from Mm -hmm. uh some some friends but uh, i'm gonna if you have any more on your list uh chrissy the only one is the uh, this one i just discovered recently and it's breath of fire and oh right and that's an it's another basic jrpg a little bit of a different storyline where you play as a young man named, you know, Ryu or whatever you want to call him because you get to name him. Um, and you are the last of the Light Dragon clan. So you are tasked with gathering the goddess keys from the other dragon clans and saving the world. It's it's really kind of cute and fun. It's, it's a little counterintuitive because it has such a high encounter rate to the point where you just go, really? I only took two steps and I have to fight again? God. Naturally. Um, which can be a deal breaker for some people. I just kind of enjoy it just because it's a very basic JRPG game. Um, it actually has six games in the series. Um, I've heard pretty much from a lot of different people, don't go past one and two. After that, it's not worth it. Um, they're not quite as good as the original one and original okay. two. So, but I also am someone who likes to play plan that for myself. And this is actually a Capcom game. Yes, yes. This is the last. Uh, this is one of Capcom's very, very few SquareSoft um, RPGs that they that are still going to to this day. Um, they usually don't keep anything going this long. Yeah, I'm looking at you for Mega Man Capcom. Bring that stuff back. Mega Man was such a good game. They did. They you did. You didn't see Mega Man Eleven? No, not. They haven't done anything recently with him. But Mega Man Eleven was just a couple years ago. I must have missed that one. Oh. Dang it! This is what happens when you take a hiatus for about a, about a month or two. All the good stuff comes out. Mm. <laughs> so, what were some of our suggestions from our audience? Well, uh. We have to some from uh, from uh, from uh, SM Zelda Rules' uh, Discord, which I'm a part of. I, I pulled them and got a few interesting answers, and a lot of these are JRPGs. Oh. So, uh, for instance, Zelda herself listed a bunch of uh, games, notably Parasite Eve, Xenogears, <laughs> and one I know the two of us can speak to a lot, Final Fantasy VI. Yes. It's, yes, there's still the fight of which one is better, Final Fantasy VI or Chrono Trigger. Oh, I'm on. I'm on Final. I I side with Final Fantasy VI. Funny enough, another one of the users did cite Chrono Trigger. Yep, that's another one that most people did not know about until you know until a couple of Let's Plays came out and people were like, "Oh my God, this game is good!" And it's like, "Yeah, I'm still gonna play." Fan of Fantasy VI over Chrono Trigger because <laughs> they still love Final th- Fantasy VI. And those are definitely going to spawn episodes as well, as mm-hmm. will this suggestion from Nick, if I can get a hold of a copy, Metal Gear Solid. Woo! The original? Apparently. Wow. The, the PlayStation 1 original, anyway. Wow. I might actually I'm talking miss- the way back in the day original on the MSX. 
Oh, no. I actually might know someone who has a copy of that and actually has still a working PlayStation 1. Okay. So if I can get, if I can see if he has, I'll ask him. Maybe he'll let us fire that puppy up and when we're both safe enough to be in each other's companies, we could try that one out. Yep, February. <laughs> we're both, we're getting vaccinated. Yeah. And uh, we got two more uh, from mm-hmm. another from another user on, on her server. The Fantasy Star series and the Dragon Quest series. Oh, yeah. A lot of people see because here's the interesting thing with Dragon Quest, though. It didn't actually start out titled Dragon Quest. It was called Dragon Warrior. Well, here in the States, anyway, it was always Dragon Quest in Japan. In Japan. But when it came over, so when the Dragon Quest series came out, a lot of people are like, is this new? And I'm like, nope, I recognize this box art. This is Dragon Ball box art. I remember this. Those are really good series, though. Like um, the one, the one that I stopped at, and I really need to get back into into the Dragon Quest series. I stopped at the Hand of the Heavenly Bride. Okay. Which is a lot of time. A lot of time. Was that eight? That was. I want to say five. Oh, okay. Yeah, four was Chapter of the Chosen's, and then Heavenly Bride was right after that. It's five. And I know now they're up to, I think, Echoes of an Elusive Age, which is either yep. 10 or 11. That's 11. And that's and I've been playing with that one for a little bit. Mm-hmm. We, we're definitely going to be able to get multiple episodes out of Dragon Quest. In fact, that was the original plan for the second episode of this very series. Mm-hmm. But neither Zelda nor Pemi had really played much of the game. So I was like, OK, let's go plan B because I want to get you guys on as guests right away. Yeah. The other thing also, too, I'm surprised no one mentioned is Trials of Mana. Oh, yes. Because that did not actually come out. Yep. That was just a Japan. That was just a Japanese release that was not released in PAL regions or in or in North America. And that game is fun because you can play. There are like 16. There's like no, not six. There's like so many different combinations that you could play in that game and you get a different story every time. It is an amazing game. Yeah, I've got the remake of Trials on my wish list right now. I really want to play that. Oh, I should let you borrow my um, mana, co- my um, my mana co- collection of mana series because it has uh, Final Fantasy Adventure, which is really actually the first uh, mana game, Secret of Mana, and then it has Trials of Mana. Okay. Um, the original, the actual Super Nintendo version. So maybe I'll drop that off to you so you can play it because that's a fun game. Okay, very nice. So that's all the answers I got from uh, Zelda's Discord channel. Thank you so much for for your help with that, Zelda and company. Thanks, guys. And uh, we also got one comment, just one, on the, on the Facebook post. I'm we totally made disappointed in you guys. Expect it better. Uh, community engagement is tough. True. So but, uh, who do we get this one from? This was from our friend James Bourne. Oh, yeah, Jason. James. Yay. Yeah, on, on the FC3 page where we shared it, he mentioned another arcade game that I actually had had a lot of experience from the ColecoVision and from, from, uh, from ports on the arcade. If I see this game for sale just about anywhere on a platform I own, I will buy it over and over and over again because I love it that much. Time Pilot. Oh, that's right. I did remember seeing that that comment. Yeah, Time Pilot was one of is is one of Konami's first really great shooter games. I mean, they're a master of the shooter genre. I mean, you know, Gradius and Gyrus and Parodius and and Twin B and on and on and on. They have which, a which wealth me up. of great shooter games. Which cracks me up because they did Parodius and they did Gradius, and Parodius is a parody of Gradius. Right. They're basically parodying themselves. Which I think is, which just says everything about Konami at that time that you ever need to know about Konami. Right. They they just, they were very chung and cheek funny. Although it wasn't the first time they did that, but again, another story for another time. Hashmark. Hashmark. Hashtag. But what's what's neat about Time Pilot, I can actually talk about a bit about this, is it's like, what if you put asteroids and Defender in a blender. What would you get out of that? 
because you've got the full roughly approximation of 360 degrees of motion and you got enemies coming at you from all directions like in asteroids but at the same time like in defender you've also got targets that you're not supposed to shoot but you're supposed to pick up and protect in this case the parachuting pilots mm-hmm. so that it's it's a, a it is a really solid game that still holds up to this day and well here's is, what's cool too is according um yoshiki uh okamoto He's right. he's actually the de- the designer of the game, and according to him, his proposal for Time Pilot was initially rejected by his boss at Konami, who actually then put him to work on a driving game instead. So, uh, Okamoto actually secretly was giving instructions to the programmer to work on Time Pilot while pretending to be working on the driving game in front of his boss. And I think they did that again to him when he was working on Gyrus as well. Oh, yeah. But that's kind and of funny that the whole, okay, you do this. No, really, we're working on the driving game. Just yeah, keep going, keep going. Yeah, no, dude, right. we're, no, boss, we're, we're working on it. <laughs> and, of course, the oh, irony is Time Pilot and Gyrus were, along with Frogger, some Konami's best games of that era. Exactly, and yeah. Then they, and then they got rid of him. Well, Konami has never been known to. Konami has a has a from that from him on, has had a reputation of they'll get really really good designers in, and they'll use them for a little bit and then kick them out and then they're suddenly shocked shocked I tell you when those people go on and make even better games for other companies. Oh, like no kidding. Like they did that with a couple of their people. Um, like, there's a reason why you're probably never going to get another um, Meta Gear, I think, um, Metal Gear Solid game for a while is because they got rid of the creator of that series. They kicked yep. him out. They kicked him out so they could focus on mobile games because they're like, well, we're making more money with mobile games. We don't need to worry about console games. And it's like, yeah. And then he went and did Death Stranding, and it was an amazing game. I'm like, you guys are idiots. Like, mobile games... It, yeah, they're going to be here, but don't base your whole company on a mobile game. It doesn't work out well. Well, Konami still has one console series, but it's only being released in Japan. So, of course, we're not going to know about it. No, they, they've been taking actually their console series and they've been turning them into slot machines. Right. But again, there is this one train series. Uh, it used to be said that they made the money off the train series, and then the, that money went into making Metal Gear games. Mm-hmm. But uh, but, well, but again, we don't we don't see it here in the states, so it's not like it's doing much of anything for anybody other than their native audience. But then again, I guess they're most concerned with their native audience, which is which is fine. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just for me, for a company that was so well known for its quality of games, just to, you know, it's part of me, I'm like, when you hear that, oh, they got rid of this guy that made them three massively successful games, part of me is like, oh my god, that's horrible, then there's the other part of me that's like, but they're known to do this, like, yeah. th- this is something that they, they're now known for, you know, is, is, is they get rid of their talent, and then they're like, oh my goodness, we didn't mean to. Well, no, you did. You you just felt they weren't worth the money anymore, and then they went off and made successful hit games for other publishers. Pretty much. That's on you. So. And we saw it right with Kogi Igarashi when he, when he when he was let go, and and he went into went independent, and we had Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Oh, it was such a good game. But of course, I'm a little biased there because you know me and my Metroidvanias. Oh, I know. Metroidvania games are are they're not they're normally not my cut. Like they're not the first game I pick up; they're the second game I pick up. Right. My first game. So, did you have any other games, Chrissy? Nope. Uh, I had that was everybody who I had for right now. Um, at least in my pool. Um. All right, I'm I'm out of material too, so uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we will have Today in Video Game History, and we will uh, wrap things up. (laughs) 
back, folks. Do you want to support the Irregulars? Head over to www.patreon.com backslash fc3rock. We're part of the media division of Flower City Comic Con, based in Rochester, New York. We're a nonprofit group. Everything we make off of Patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events, from reserving the facilities to bringing in the guests. If you pledge any amount, even a slim dollar, you'll receive improved access to my blog entries. Every Thursday, I go over current video game news. Oh, I'm sorry, every Tuesday. I'm still getting used to this script. I go over current video game news or write retrospectives on old school arcade games. You'll, and for just a pledge of a dollar, you'll have them all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards. And if sorry. you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Do you want to get a hold of us individually, though? You can email Chrissy directly at chrissy at fc3rock.org and myself at james at fc3rock.org. At the moment, we're still working out most other social media matters, but we are indeed on Facebook at Gaming Street Irregulars. Chrissy and I are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool and begging, I mean asking, for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes. We love hearing from you all. Whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind. So if you reach nope. out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Indeed. Legally speaking, all music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention on profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you want. Can't get blood from a stone, people. Can't get blood from a stone. Nope. And I will make sure you get a copy of that too, Christy, in case in case uh, I don't wind up needing to give my voice a break. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. And, and now to round out the episode this week in gaming history for January fourteenth. You know, I almost wish we had flipped around the release date of some of these episodes because, as it turns out, in nineteen eighty seven. Mm-hmm. Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link was released on the Famicom in Japan. Whee! Can you believe it? Our previous episode, and now we're talking about it again in time for its release date. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's True. called weaving everything together. If you have not re- watched or listened to that episode, we strongly advise you do so because that was actually a really really fun episode. We did have a lot of fun with that. Oh wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm getting I'm getting even more mixed up. That was two episodes ago. Yeah, little column A, little column B. True. <laughs> but still, episode three. Go check it out if you haven't already. Even though. <laughs> If you're listening to this now, you probably already have, because at this time, that's our most downloaded episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. You guys really love us talking about Zelda. I'm not surprised. I, I did ad- I did put a little money into advertising that uh, that episode. Just 12 bucks, but it apparently it got us out there a little bit more. Woo-hoo! Well, any way, any way you could get people to listen, we're all for it. So don't forget to like... Subscribe. I don't know what else you can do for Facebook or for any of the podcasting stuff. Leave us but... a, leave us a review on i on on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. We got one from our friend John Perengal a while back. But yeah, the reviews help people find the show, especially five star reviews. Mm-hmm. And so if you so if you have something to say, make say say it out there, and it it will boost our visibility. Yeah. You know, we can only be as visible as you guys make us. So make us as visible as possible. Otherwise, I'll stick Oscar on you all. He'll cuddle you to death. I think some people might like that. True. He he, he is a good pillow. Right. But uh, on that note, uh, we are going to put this uh, on the note of pillows. We're going to put this podcast to bed for the week. Until next time, I'm James Irish and for Chrissy Harding. Press, 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 select, continue. Indeed. Or something. Or the Konami We're code. We're still working on a sign off. <laughs> Work the Konami code. Always do the Konami code. Okay. Good night, everybody. Night, everyone. <laughs>